Welcome everyone to today's episode of the Airways Podcast, Season 4, Episode 17, our last episode of the season. I'm Helwin Vijamisar, joined by Vinay Waskaran and Rohan Anand. How's your holidays been going? Well, my uh, family doesn't celebrate Christmas exactly, but got to spend some time with family, so can never complain about that. One thing that I can share is that I did get to hang with Vinay in person uh, while I was in Dallas. So he came over, had pizza with my folks and I, uh, played with a dog, enjoyed a whiskey or two, and we didn't get to record an episode in person together uh, just because Vinay was traveling a lot. Um, and I just made my way back to Chicago yesterday after a grueling two-day drive. Um, so let's just hope I don't have to do that for a long time. <laughs> Oof. I did the drive from Chicago to the East Coast back when I was in college, and um, I think I got a ticket from the Pennsylvania State Police for doing 95 in my 2013 Nissan Altima. So on the on the turn, those my, on the turnpike. Yep, that's uh, that's almost a foundational memory for for those of us who wow drive to and from Chicago. Yeah, yeah. the drive is so uninspiring. I mean, literally the you know the Texas and Missouri. And Illinois landscapes are really, really, really not. Oh, you've got, you've got nothing. I, I can tell you a drive that's even worse, which is from Kansas City, Missouri to Denver, Colorado. Oh, I've it's heard that bad. just cornfields on as far as the eye can see. Mm-hmm. Like nice. every so often, there's like a, there's like a, a little small highway roadside town, like, yeah, townlet with, you know, a couple of like holiday inns and a couple of gas stations, a couple of fast food restaurants. Like, have you ever seen that picture of Breezewood in Pennsylvania? Just imagine like 400 miles of nothing but that every 50 miles. And and that's so, so I don't even want to hear it. Like, I, yeah, Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, like that's nothing compared to that drive between, uh, between Kansas City and, and Denver. Mm. I did Alligator Alley, Naples, Fort Lauderdale to Tampa. On our little Prius, and it was a nice drive for sure. Yeah, there's actually trees and wildlife and humanity. Yeah, exactly. Along the ride. Uh, um, all right. So today we have a special episode where we basically state our predictions for commercial aviation in 2024. So I think uh, we're going to do five predictions each. And see how we react to those. So the first question I have is, are we grading ourselves on the accuracy of these predictions? Or are we trying to be as bold and <clears throat> imaginative as possible? Because we can, depending we, we, we can be as bold as imaginative, for sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's make it fun. Okay. So, Helen, why don't you kick us off? Okay. Um, though this is a bold one. If the JetBlue Spirit merger does not go through... United is going to go after JetBlue. Uh, okay, so this one has been a rumor for many years that United would like to get a Southeast hub and that they would like to get more New York JFK access. This one is dead on arrival. If the, if the NEA was ditched and if the... Uh, JetBlue Spirit merger has gone under such scrutiny. There's absolutely no way United and JetBlue will go through. That's just, I, I, I mean, plain and simple. 
I could go into many details on why um, the the DOJ won't let it through, but I just think based on precedence, it's it's not going to happen. Except what happens if you see a change uh, in party in the presidency next year, which is, I mean, at least according to the polls, pretty possible. If you get a different DOJ administration in, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't like, I, like you know, you never know how that changes things. And I would imagine that for the Alaska Hawaiian merger, that's part of what's going on there is that they, you know, they 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 basically think they have a better case than JetBlue Spear in the first place. But even if they don't, if you know the parties turn in you know November of 2024, then that might change the dynamics in terms of the the DOJ enforcement arm, right? Yeah. To be fair, they have no partnership or alliance or anything of that sort whatsoever, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I, what I was also going to call out is I do think that, um, you know, from a network perspective, it feels to me like American would be, would, would outbid United. So I, I do think United would buy JetBlue. I think Delta would buy, I, I think all of them would buy JetBlue up. Right. Right. It, it would get rid of a thorn in their side. It would help give them more pricing power across the Atlantic. Um, but I think that American would outbid JetBlue because for, for, for United, you know, JetBlue is a nice to have, right? It, it'd, it'd be nice to have, you know, Boston. It'd be nice to have more scale in um, New York. It really wouldn't do that much for them, truthfully, in terms of the Southeast, because Fort Lauderdale is too far south to be a meaningful hub for the Southeast. But, you know, whatever, neither here nor there. I think the issue is that American, for American, it's like a strategic necessity, right? Like they have to you know, that's why the NEA existed, right? So right. I think American would outbid United, even if this did come up for a, uh, for, 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 a, for a review. So that was number one, Helwing coming in with, <laughs> coming in off the top rope with a, uh, a pretty spicy take. Rohan, what's your uh, first bold prediction for 2024? I think that Southwest Airlines is going to announce some routes from DFW Airport now that the expiration of their, I guess, restriction on being able to serve DFW will end in 2024. And I anticipate that they will start by adding some international routes from DFW um, because they have the ability to use the customs and immigration facility out of uh, Terminal D, I believe, and there'll be more gates coming with Terminal E. So I think that they'll be able to not only... um, start a few domestic routes from DFW. Yeah, and then also maybe a couple international to like, let's say Cancun, Montego Bay, Punta Cana, Puerto Vallarta, um, you know, maybe uh, a Nassau. But I think that that's going to happen. Interesting take. Um, So technically they are banned from operating international flights at love until 2025 but starting in 2025 i believe that they can start to they can add international flights from love um per the right amendment which is what you were calling out as the sort of compromise that is um expiring next year it's not a horrible take right i mean like ultimately they're they're gate constrained at dallas love and frankly now it's not worth this is dfw yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I, yeah, yeah. that's I'm say, I'm saying that it's important. Dow is smaller. Yeah, yeah. Dow is small, and they don't have an integrate. They don't have a immigration facility built. Right, right. So, what, you know, so and they would have to build that, right? So, like when Houston, for example, wanted to create a hobby international airport uh, terminal, it required the city to 
you know, take three years, I think, until they launched those international operations. It like was announced in 2012 and then it didn't get online until 2015. So I think, you know, Southwest isn't going to want to A, pony up the money to build that out of love. But B, if they can just plug and play in DFW, they'll be able to do that from an international perspective. Yeah, well, I think the the, the caveat there, right, is that um, people think of Southwest as this like point to point airline that only flies passengers on, you know, from origin to destination. But, you know, these days, especially at Chicago Midway, but also at Dallas Love, they do use love as a connecting complex. Mm-hmm. So my question would be more so, especially for, for international destinations, um, I, I do wonder if they will ultimately choose to wait a year and prefer um, prefer to, um, you know, launch from from love eventually. Now, that doesn't preclude, preclude them from also launching from DFW, right? So, like, hypothetically, they could add, you know, Cancun, uh, you know, King Montego Bay, a couple, Punta Cana, you know, a couple, couple of, like, key sort of dots from DFW, and then over time, shift things to love over, you know, a three, four year period. And in the meantime, they've trained Dallas area customers to know you can get on Southwest to your vacation destinations. So um, I, I, I think this is this is actually a pretty good take. Not, not very spicy, though, I will say. I mean, not spicy. It's, it's not spicy. From Google. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's spicy because of the back office politics, but it's not it's not exactly spicy per se. Um, OK, so you. sounds like. Sounds sounds like it is my turn. So my first prediction for the year is that one major international airline will off will, will order the Boeing Triple Seven X. Right, so it's been a long time since we got a meaningful order for the Boeing Triple Seven X. I mean, you you got the sort of throw in Air India Triple Seven X order. But for the most part, we're still back with the original customer group from, you know, 2013 to 2019. Lufthansa, Etihad, Cathay Pacific, Emirates, Qatar Airways, ANA, Singapore Airlines, and British Airways. Um, And then Air India obviously ordered 10 last year. I think we will get another major order for the Boeing 777X with 50 or more frames, which would bring the total order book over 500. So that's that's my my first prediction for 2020. Four. Yeah, I mean, which airlines have ordered the triple seven X already from an international perspective besides Air India? Emirates, Lufthansa, Qatar, I think. Yeah, the the, the group that I just laid out. British Airways, the, the Singapore group that I just laid out. Yeah. And my candidates sort of in order of likelihood are um Turkish Airlines. Air France, KLM, maybe that one's probably a, a little less likely. Um, and then one of the Chinese carriers. Those would be kind of the three. But Boeing's not actually seeking new orders, right? I mean, they have to fulfill existing commitments. So isn't... Yeah, but, but, uh, but, but I, I think that, um, you know, over the last couple of years, you've seen this sort of split where Airbus has kind of really taken over the, the narrow body space with between the A220 and the A320neo family, particularly the A321neo. And Boeing has started to um, win sort of a larger share of wide body orders. And so given those two dynamics, I do think that as Boeing continues to face down all of the pressures um, that it does from a like you know, there, there's another problem with the 737 Max, for example right? Um, as of reporting on Friday, December 29th. 
So I think that they will feel some pressure to put together a um, a sale for another wide body um, sort of group. And I think obviously like Turkish Airlines is likely to buy 787s. Um, but okay, you know what? I'm, I'm revising it. We're going to say Turkish Airlines is going to buy the 777X in 2024. There you go. Make it make it even more specific. Yeah, to compete with the A350-1000 orders. Yeah, exactly. for sure. And, and I, I think that like, you know, for Turkish specifically, right, they've built such an efficient and powerful hub that there is space for both of those planes in their fleet, right? There are missions, especially on cargo heavy missions, right? You know, route routes that have lots of cargo where a 777X is going to be really, really powerful for Turkish airlines. Because from a distance perspective, right, outside of the U.S. and, and you know, sort of the Americas, most of the world is well within the range of like a 78710 or a 7799X that's fully loaded up with cargo. So I think that, um, I think that that's, what, that's where you're going to see things land. Good for All right, Hellwing, prediction number two. All right, um... Delta may end up buying a major share in Aerolíneas Argentinas. Okay, wait. Here's what I don't understand. What is happening exactly with AR? First of all, they are a mess. They are like one of the messiest airlines. Like they make Alitalia look like stable. Um, and what is this new prime minister of Argentina going to do with them? And why would Delta do this? I mean, Delta is known for throwing good money after bad but <laughs> i mean this would be such a foolish investment i feel like well part part of the challenge right is that um javier malay has essentially in one fell swoop um deregulated argentina's airline industry along with you know a bunch of other industries so well, let's, let's keep it constrained to airlines for a second right um and the problem is that ar is fundamentally inefficient bloated and unable to compete now, if AR were to be privatized, I think you could, in theory, um, you know, strip down the sort of cut a bunch of costs and cut a bunch of bloat, and you could make AR a, a, a profitable airline in theory. But in practice, right, um, you know, it's really hard to transform an airline's culture and transform an airline's operating procedure, especially given the existing personnel there. So um, I think that if they were to do it, it would be throwing good money after bad. Now, when they invested in AR previously, which they had already, you know, they already have a stake in AR, if I'm not mistaken, that was in a world where AR was a protected, almost sort of monopoly player by the Argentinian government. And in that world, I think, you know, an AR investment makes some degree of sense. An Aerolineas investment makes some degree of sense. Yeah, but I, I agree with Rohan. In, in a world where there's deregulated airline competition, which means that, you know, um, your first A, you're going to see a surge of low-cost carriers for domestic and intra-South American flying. Right, anywhere that can be reached by a 737 or an A320, um, you're going to see a low-cost carrier on that route. In addition, you're probably going to see LATAM jump back into the market, um, where it had a presence for a very long time. It never could sort of grow past Aerolíneas. Um, but I think the combination of those things means that I, I, it would, it would, I agree with you that it would be throwing good money after bad, but it would be throwing good money not after just a bad airline, but a, a bad airline with a bad market position. So I'm, I'm with Rohan on this one. Yeah, you have labor disputes, economic instability, but that could it's turn around. Mess. It is a hot mess. It's a hot mess. No, yeah, I, I'm with. Yeah, it's, it's it's just too. It's too much. Yeah, um, too much. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I agree with you, but I have to. <laughs> okay, Rohan, 
Um, there's going to be some capacity rationalization on the Australia market um, and New Zealand market because we've seen a lot of growth from Delta and from United into Australia and to New Zealand. Uh, so I think that there's going to be some pullback in capacity or there's going to be some sort of rationalization. Um, I don't think that the markets can support as much seat capacity as what is gone. Thoughts? Uh, I mean, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty buttoned up as far as bold predictions go. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much aligned with you. I, I don't think the market can s- support the current seating capacity. Um, if you look at sort of some of the routes that have been added um, since, uh, you know, s- since the start of the pandemic, right? You have a bunch of routes from United. You have a bunch of routes from American. I think that American is probably the first to blink, is my guess, just because they, you know, th- they have the the least long haul capacity, right? Like in, ter- in terms of like within their fleet. And so that fundamentally constrains their ability to fly loss-making long-haul routes, right? And so I think American is probably the first to blink, especially because, you know, they can still serve all these routes through the Qantas joint venture. And uh, what is American strategy in 2024 if not um, fly a bunch of domestic routes to Charlotte, DFW, Phoenix, and Miami, and then let your JV partners serve all international routing? They're Alaska Airlines with a... uh, With you know three times the scale, yeah. Fly all of your uh, <laughs> European routes to London Heathrow, and then you know do the rest seasonally and call it a day. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Now, American doesn't have that much capacity though. They have Auckland from LA and DFW, and then they have LA to Sydney. But that's about it. They don't have like. Brisbane or Christchurch or Melbourne, like United has, um, but Delta has definitely added a lot of South Pacific capacity to Auckland, to Sydney. They've added a second daily from uh, LA, and then they've added some in the South Pacific, I believe. To, to um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I tend to think that the first thing you'll see is these routes go seasonal, right? So. Um, you know, at any which way, the seasonal nature of these routings is what makes the South Pacific useful, right? Because the high season for, you know, transatlantic flying, for example, is the U.S. summer, right? Which is sort of that, like, let's call it like April to October kind of period. Um, meanwhile, the, the, the high season for the South Pacific is October to April. So I think the first shoe to drop would be to get rid of this line between, you know, April and October. And then the set, you know, once you get kind of through that initial layer, then, you know, the the next the next step would be cutting some routes, yeah, or, or cutting frequency, right? Like, I I I think you I think you could be right without any routes getting dropped, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So my prediction number two. It sounds like I'm I'm the one who's harping on the aircraft order, so I'll keep going with that theme. My prediction number two is that the Boeing seven thirty seven Max family will outsell the A three twenty Neo family in twenty twenty four. Um, I think we saw kind of one of the first precursors of this with um, what happened, uh, you know, with, with Lufthansa finally sort of ordering the 737 MAX family. I think there's really two key drivers behind this. Driver number one is that availability, right? Fundamentally, the A321neo has close to twice the backlog of the 737 MAX family. And so it's just sold out. There are fewer delivery slots, right? I think 
they're up to something like 10 years of production worth of backlog. So if you need short haul aircraft, you, you kind of got to go to go with the Boeing. That's like one half of it. The other half of it is what I think is probably the most undercovered story in aviation right now, which is the reliability issues of the geared turbofan engines that Pratt and Whitney built for um, the for the A320 Neo family and for the um, A220s. The GTF um, is a more efficient engine than um, than the um, uh, than the the CFM Leap engines that are on the Boeing 737 Max and also available on the A320 Neo. And in terms of operating costs, they are more efficient. But they have run into a series of uh, maintenance and reliability issues that have caused airlines to ground a bunch of aircraft. It is one of the factors that uh, really hurt Hawaiian Airlines um, over the past year and a half or so was unavailability of their A321neo fleet. So I think that more airlines are waking up to the fact that if you have a short haul fleet that's based entirely on A320neo family aircraft, um, you know, it's going to put you in a really untenable position if you've got the, the gear turbofans. So I think that that's part of what drove Lufthansa to make the to, to make the purchase of the 737 Max. But I also think it's part of what um, it, it, it's going to impact the thinking of larger airlines moving forward. And so I think you could see, for example, a rebound order from uh, the Chinese carriers, potentially. I think you could see larger orders from some of the big European airlines who don't who haven't ordered the A320neo. I think you could even see some Southeast Asian airlines, uh, more Asian air airlines more broadly, opt for the 737 MAX. So I think that 2024 will be a larger year for the 737 MAX than the A320neo family. I could agree with you. Um, I understand the issue with the PNW engine issue totally. Uh, I would be weary. But more than that is the... Uh, 737-10, if all goes well, that's like the next best seller of the Max family after the Dash 8. And yeah, I agree with you. If all goes well with the Dash 10, it's going gonna, gonna to have some good sales, good orders for sure. Yeah. Rohan, anything to say? No, nope, I think that that's pretty much consistent with my thoughts. All right. So you mentioned the Lufthansa, Vinay. So, for my third prediction, Lufthansa may go for another European airline to add to their portfolio besides ETA. Um, potentially even LOT um, being the strongest contenders just because, you know, they're already in Star Alliance. But it would definitely also behoove them to be able to leverage TAP, um, you know, which is a very, very high volume transporter between um, Portugal and Latin America, Portugal and Africa, and also be able to, you know, connect, connect some of the transcontinental flows over Lisbon to markets in continental Europe from the North America region. Um, the one thing that it would get, though, is a very dysfunctional Lisbon airport. That airport is no bueno. It has not been able to handle the growth that it has had and it is a, a nightmare and a cluster F to to transit through. So, you know, it doesn't provide a a, a Zurich uh Vienna Munich experience. It provides more of a 
well, I don't even want to say Frankfurt experience because that's not a good comparison. No one wants to compare itself to Frankfurt. Um, this is just a, a dumpster fire in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Top is sort of the the next airline up in um, <clears throat> the European legacy airline matchmaking sweepstakes, right? If you if you were to look at the largest airlines in Europe, right, you've got Lufthansa Group, which already owns you know Lufthansa Austrian. Uh, you know, Brussels Airlines and Swiss. You've got IAG, which owns British Airways, Iberia, and Aer Lingus. And then, of course, you have Air France KLM, which owns Air France, KLM, and then it will soon own SAS, at least in practice. Eventually, it'll probably own all of SAS. Okay, so what are the largest independent airlines left in Europe that are, that are legacy carriers, right? So the next legacy carrier that is unaffiliated is the Aeroflot Group. That's not going to happen for obvious reasons. Uh, then you have SAS. And then Top. Top is right there. ITA is now owned by Lufthansa. And uh, yeah, so, so Top is really, the, is really the next airline up. The, the, the next set of carriers that are within the European Union that are legacy carriers are Top, Air Europa, sort of, Lot Polish Airlines, and Finnair. So th that's really your consolidation candidates. And then after that, you get into, you know, Air Astana and um, Virgin Atlantic um, and then, you know, a bunch of really small carriers. So I would imagine that top is sort, sort of the, the next bell at the ball. Um, I think lot will not get sold because of how the Polish government approaches um, consolidation and, and kind of views that dynamic. And then thin air is kind of the other viable candidate. So and you could very air, air Europa. Isn't that from IAG? Air Europa was to be acquired by I was to be acquired by IAG, um, but it's still TBD okay. to whether that that sort of IAG Air Europa murder will go through. Um, now that I think would be the the sort of definite definition of a anti competitive merger, right? Air Europa is the second largest and second most important carrier at right. Madrid. Um, so that would be deeply anti-competitive. I think that from a competition perspective, what you want is something like, yeah, like Lufthansa buying Top and Air France KLM buying Air Europa or vice versa. And then maybe IAG grabs Finnair. Like that would be that would that would be sort of competition preserving because, you know, again, you're kind of keeping everyone in this expanding geographical reach without consolidating within a given market. Um, but yeah, that that's 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 really an interesting dynamic to, to watch out for. And that's uh Good prediction right there. Those three groups. Those three groups buying those three airlines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rohan, what's your what's your number three? My number three is that Air India is gonna announce more long haul routes to the US. I think that now with the uh, aircraft that they're getting, especially they're getting some for Aeroflot, um, I think that they'll be considering LA, Boston, uh I wish Dallas Fort Worth, um, or perhaps even um, you know routes like Chicago to Mumbai, or uh, from uh, New York to Bangalore, or something along those lines. Um, and I think that Seattle is also an op option for them. I like it. I mean, they'll make yeah. the announcements for sure. I don't know if it's okay, yeah. Whether they actually fly, whether they fly with consistent frequency—that's anyone's guess, but. I, I agree. I, I think that the announcements could definitely happen um, in in twenty twenty three or sorry twenty twenty four. Jeez, it's already already the end of the year. 
So my number three prediction for the year is that Denver International Airport um, will, by the end of the year, become a busier airport than Dallas-Fort Worth. So Denver will, Denver will become the second busiest airport in the United States. It may not make it in terms of the full year statistics, just because DFW has an advantage or a uh, base. But I think that um, by the end of 2024, Denver will, will, will have more scheduled seat capacity than DFW Airport. More scheduled capacity than DFW Airport. Well, DFW seats, sell what? seats, seats, not ASMs. Seats. Okay. Okay. Seats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, ASMs. DFW has way more international traffic, but for from seats. Gotcha. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, D DFW is starting to get to a point where it's gate constrained, whereas Denver is still in sort of excellent shape when it comes to. Um, you know, it's airfield capacity, and they've added a ton of gates. So Denver has three terminals, hundred and thirty-five gates. DFW has five terminals, hundred ninety-one gates. Yeah, and Denver, Denver has started to get to the point. It it kind of has this Atlanta property to it, where it has become such a big hub for United that routes that were previously unviable are starting to become viable just on the basis of connecting traffic alone. And so in the, in the first half of the year, right, through June of 2023, um, they went to 36.5 million passengers. And then if you were to compare that to DFW, DFW ended um, the mid-year with 38. So again, you know, there, there's a, uh, you yeah. know, there's a gap there, but that gap is shrinking between 2022 and 2023. So you fast forward to 2024, by the end of the year, United continues to grow in Denver as it takes delivery of a bunch of aircraft. And that's the other piece of this puzzle, right? Which is that DFW is ultimately tied to American Airlines' fortunes. And United is ultimately, sorry, Denver is ultimately tied to, um, to United's fortunes. And which of those two airlines do you think is more likely to grow in 2023? In 2024, right? That's the other piece of the logic. Yeah, and the data point for Dan, well, like passengers, it's true. 69 million versus 75 million in 2022, then versus DFW. So it's getting closer, 2023. Yeah. Okay. Who's next? Number four, Helling. Number four. Free odd air will grow at a slower pace. <laughs> well, so, some of this is up to what your expectation is for how quickly Riyadh air will, will grow. Um, I tend to think that if they do the smart thing and they, for lack of a better word, offer a affordable price point, they can grow very quickly so long as the government is willing to fund the losses, right? Now, what we've seen in the past with the Middle Eastern carriers, right, is that there's this initial kind of like breakneck growth period where they have to, you know, eat a bunch of losses to build their... Um, commercial presence. Now, obviously, Saudi Arabia, from a brand perspective, carries some unique challenges that Qatar and um, the UAE do not, albeit, you know, maybe not entirely justifiably, right? They're, they're all sort of very similarly aligned countries. The UAE and Qatar are just a little less, um, for lack of a better word, known. Um, 
Do we know if it's going to be a dry airline? I don't. We are there. I'm wondering that myself. I hope not. Well, I, I don't really have a, a point of view one way or the other as to whether it should or shouldn't be, but I do think that that will definitely make a difference on the margins for how quickly they can grab market share. The one thing that's worth noting is with Saudi Arabia, you do have some easy routes where you can start to build scale, right? Um, particularly to the Indian subcontinent, to you know Pakistan, to um, to India, um, particularly the south of India. So I think that it could be very easy for them to, you know, I think their first 20 routes are pretty straightforward, right? You add five, six big points in Europe, you add five, six big points in um, in uh, sort of the Indian subcontinent, and you start to flow connections across the two, and people will put up with almost anything for a cheap ticket. So uh, I think that'll be a great starting point. I, I don't know if I endorse this one, right? I, I think that um, the biggest constraint on them is frankly going to be aircraft delivery. Right, because they have the seven eight seven nine, um, and uh, you know Boeing has just struggled as has Airbus with delivering aircraft on time. So maybe you you might be right, but if you are right, it's because Boeing can't deliver them the seven eight sevens fast enough. Yeah, it's it's a uh, okay. That makes sense. I mean, to me, it's more of just the volatility of of the industry. Um, you can have strong financial backings, like with Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund, for sure. You can focus on underserved markets. You got good leadership, but you never know. Yeah, but fundamentally, right, the same things that helped Dubai in terms of its geographic placement are true for Riyadh, right? In the same way that they're true for Doha and they're true for Abu Dhabi. What really has sort of marked the difference in um, fortunes between Dubai and Emirates, Doha and Qatar Airways, and uh, Etihad and Abu Dhabi is like really two factors, right? The first is how willing is the government to stomach losses? And we saw with Etihad that Etihad's growth story really ground to a halt when the government was like, we don't want to fund, you know, billions of dollars of operating losses. And then the difference between Doha and Dubai is that Dubai has much more origin and destination demand, right? It has much more demand for people flying to and from Dubai. Riyadh is closer to Dubai than it is to Doha in terms of how many people want to fly there, right? Saudi Arabia is a big, important country with a large population um, and large, obviously, commercial interests in the form of uh, the oil industry. So as a starting point, I think that um, Riyadh Air is better positioned than certainly like um, Etihad or Qatar Airways were. So I tend to think that they, sh they will be successful so long as the government's willing to find fund losses and then can they find their way to profitability over time is kind of the question there but you know i think saudi arabia right the government has this sort of long-ranging strategic vision right they're kind of in this interesting spot where the current economy is highly profitable is the wrong word but it, it throws off a big budget surplus from the oil industry they understand that that's going to die maybe over the next 30 to 4, 20 to 30 to 40 years and so the net result is they understand that hey we need if we invest the oil money today, we can, in theory, transform our economy in, in, in ways that are beneficial. This January, get ready for an exciting issue of Airways Magazine, packed with captivating stories from the world of commercial aviation. Join us as we take you on an exclusive tour of European Air Transport's cargo hub in Leipzig, uncovering the significance of the Airbus A300 for this cargo airline. 
celebrate the 40th anniversary of Airbus A320 as we explore the incredible influence of this iconic aircraft on commercial aviation. Discover the inspiring story of Air Tindy, a vital lifeline in the Northwest Territories. We take you on a journey through their remarkable operations. Embark on a thrilling adventure across Queensland as we hop on board a Rex Sab 340, experiencing the beauty of the Australian landscape from the skies. Finally, immerse yourself in the mesmerizing sights of aircraft lining up on final approach at Tokyo's Haneda Airport. We take you on a journey that celebrates the beauty, power and precision of aviation at one of the world's busiest airports. Don't miss out on these incredible stories and more in the upcoming January issue of Airways Magazine. Get your copy now at your nearest Barnes & Nobles or online at airwaysmag.com shop. Now, part of that is going to be, can they start to draw tourism and start to draw um, a more global cosmopolitan airline population or passenger population? And that's something that Dubai has done really, really well. With Saudi Arabia, there are obviously cultural questions and perception questions that, that kind of change that. But the other thing to keep in mind is that a lot of the Muslim world has a really, really strong emotional tie to Saudi Arabia. Right? In a way that they even don't, frankly, with you know Dubai or with um, or with uh, with Qatar, and so I think that they can also maybe thoughtfully lean on that piece uh, of the puzzle as well, right? And then they might be able to tap into that demand source more effectively. So I'll, I'll be curious. I'll be curious to see how it goes, but I think that um, I think I I think I disagree with you. I think I, I think that their growth will be pretty fast up. Well, depending on the ongoing the availability of aircraft, yep, exactly. Right, and depending on what uh, Saudi uh, Emirates and Qatar do. Yeah, the thing I don't understand is well, actually, two two things that I don't understand about Riyadh Air are first, why are you still running Saudia as a separate airline, and then second, why are you basing yourself in Riyadh versus in Jeddah? Because Jeddah has even more travel demand than Riyadh. Right, it's it's a it's a busier airport, right? It's about twice the size of of or not twice the size, but like one fifty percent larger in terms of um, seat capacity. So I, I am curious as to um, I am curious as to why they ba- chose to base in Riyadh. And obviously, we're we're late to this conversation, but something something is interesting about that to me, right? It it, it speaks to there being a different strategic plan than just doing the easy thing. So that that's that's kind of that's that's an interesting dynamic. And I think you spoke about this in the Dubai Air Show episode about the hubs, the strategies in the region, which was in- I remember was really interesting. Okay, well, let's move on. Yeah, well, well, just just before I um, sort of uh, go into into that puzzle. Um, the thing I will say is that uh, the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll note is that according to Sirium's DOME data, at Jeddah, Saudi Arabia has about 2 million seats. Um, and at Riyadh, they've got about 1.5 million seats. So they're actually closer than I would have expected given the overall passenger traffic. I think some of that is other carriers um, going, uh, you know, 
other carriers from around the Muslim world flying into Jeddah to support Hajj and religious pilgrimage traffic. But the really interesting thing is if you look at the ASM difference, right? So again, this is for December 2023. So about 2 million seats at Jeddah, about 1.5 million at Riyadh. But if you look at ASMs, it's 3.7 billion at Jeddah and uh, 1.5 billion at Riyadh. So Riyadh is much more of a short haul destination for Saudi than than Jeddah is. And I think that that's that says something interesting about what's going on with um, with this decision. OK, OK, Rogan, prediction number four. Prediction number four for me is that we are finally going to see one of the two U.S. airlines announce routes with the Airbus A321 XLR aircraft when it comes on um, transatlantic routes or U.S. to northern Latin America routes. I see Vinay shaking his head. No, I, I, I'm I'm nodding the fact, nodding my head. Yeah, I'm in perfect agreement. Um, again, I don't know, I don't know how much that qualifies as bold, but yeah, sure. That that that. I'm that playing, sure. playing it conservative this year. You're playing it conservative this year. Okay. Who are the, uh, American and United, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Exactly. American has fifty on order, and United also fifty. I think. Yeah. All right. Well, in order to uh, to somehow balance that out in terms of uh, in terms of the, the tameness of it, I'm going to go ahead and make a bold prediction, which is that United is going to add service from San Francisco to. They're, they're going to at least announce service from San Francisco to two of the following four destinations, Bangkok, Thailand, Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Dubai or Sao Paulo. Okay. So um, in order, Bangkok and Ho Chi Minh City to me are kind of in sort of line with the recent addition of Manila, right? Um, there are large destinations. SFO has kind of sort of taken this unchallenged supremacy over US airline um, sort of trans-Pacific hubs. And I think that, you know, this would these would be sort of the next natural additions. And you've already seen um, Air Canada, for example, add service to Bangkok. Um, Thailand tourism, especially in the Instagram era and the Instagram generation, is um, has become even more popular. So I, I do think you could see, in the in the spirit of you know premium leisure travel, you could see United add nonstop service from San Francisco to Bangkok, which I think is possible with seven eight seven nine. Um, given that Singapore is also feasible, um, same with Ho Chi Minh City. That would be a little bit more VFR oriented, similar to. Um, Manila, I think with Ho Chi Minh City, part of the, the puzzle there would also be cargo on that route, right? Um, in the same way that sort of Manila has some, has that property, Vietnam and the U.S. are deepening their trade relationships. A lot of U.S. companies are shifting production from uh, China to other countries around the region, including Vietnam being one of the biggest beneficiaries. So I think that that's a story there. I think the story for Sao Paulo is that... Basically, there's a lot of traffic between Asia and South America that almost by virtue of geography has to connect in the U.S. And I think that the Asian sort of hub for for United has gotten strong enough that it can support connecting traffic down to Sao Paulo along with um, you know some degree of origin and destination traffic. There is a decently sized Brazilian community in San Francisco. And then the fourth one that I threw out was, of course, Dubai. And the idea there is that right now, um, 
United is blocked from adding service between San Francisco and India because of Russian airspace restrictions. But um, it obviously is a huge market. They had SFO Delhi. They were going to add SFO Bangalore. Um, I think, you know, over, over the next several years, you would have seen them add Mumbai as well. But because of the restrictions right now, they either have to connect those passengers over Newark, um, but you might want to add, add Dubai as an additional connecting sort of opportunity. So four route predictions. Our prediction is that United will, will announce two of them in 2024. Now, United flies one stop to Bangkok, right? Has no. a direct. They used to. Well, back when they, they had used to go Narita Hub, they used to. Um, but they haven't served Bangkok in close to a decade, more, more than a decade, close to 15 years. Right now, they do they do one-stop routings over mostly Tokyo, um, Haneda, and Tokyo, Narita. Well, they did the longest long haul, right? Uh Houston to Sydney. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three years. I, yeah, I see that. I see that happening for sure. Yeah. Okay. For my last prediction, you're talking about Turkish Airlines. I think they will be hit hard by the geopolitical st- instability in the region. That's not going to wane down anytime soon. So are are Turkish Turkish Airlines is still allowed to fly to Russia, right? They are. They are flying to Russia because they're not doing shake sanctions. Yep. So I think so your prediction is that it is going to affect them too. It's going to affect them. Maybe they will pivot and they will take advantage of uh Russian airspace access, but they will definitely be affected one way or another. Yeah. Agreed. Um, my last one is that Avello or Breeze Airways will crumble. Um, I know that we say don't bet against JetBlue's founder, David Neeleman, but Breeze is doing really, really bad. Not making money. It's a little sad, but yeah. Yeah. We haven't even covered them in airways for a long while now. And that says something. Yeah. I think the concept of Breeze was cool. I think that the execution of Breeze has been, uh, has left a lot to be desired, right? The basic premise of we're going to serve underserved air airports and we are going to, um, you know, fly point to point nonstop service on a smaller aircraft with lower trip cost. Conceptually, there's a way to make that work. I think the problem is that they've been a little too spray and pray with their approach. They've, they have too many bases. They fly to too many destinations. Spray and pray. Spray and pray. That doesn't sound very Christian. Well, Morris Air. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, I think that the the caveat there is that. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm still thinking about spray and pray. Well, it's particularly funny if you, if you know Neilman's history. Um, at any rate, I, I agree with you. I think either Breeze or Avello. Um, Avello, frankly, is in better shape. 
right? Because they're they're running a tried and true low cost carrier model. And by the way, if the JetBlue Spirit merger does go through, then I think Avello is all of a sudden going to have a ton of really interesting markets to be able to throw its hat into, right? Basically, any Spirit market that JetBlue abandons, that's open season for Avello. So I think Avello, frankly, can 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 sort of has a couple of pathways to success. I think with Breeze, it's a cool concept, but sort of like Virgin America, you know, a decade and a half ago, I think that fundamentally it, it misunderstands what U.S. airline passengers pay for. Either they, they'll pay for a premium experience as part of a global airline alliance, or they'll pay for the cheapest possible sort of headline cost ticket no matter what. There's really not much in between. Yeah. Um, I don't know why, but I'm comparing Breeze with Porter, maybe uh, because of the Embraer aircraft, but for sure that rapid growth and then canceling some routes, it does not look good. It rapidly expanded. And the key difference with between Breeze and Porter is that Porter has a, a sort of base to build off of, right? Which is right. the Toronto City Billy Bishop Airport operation where they can charge a fare and revenue premium on those short-haul flights because it's hyper-convenient to downtown Toronto. Breeze has nothing of the sort. Yeah, and no, and also Porter is really, I mean, just the traffic from Canada to South Florida is huge. I mean, it's important. It, uh, so, yeah, I, I understand that. That makes sense. They do have a base. So last thing I'll throw out is um, just before I get to my final prediction is I, while we were while we were chatting about Breeze and Avello, I looked up again on Sirium's DOME some of the numbers for United's um, Tokyo Narita to Bangkok. It was a single daily flight for most of the 2000s, uh, mostly operated by a Boeing 747-400, uh, though occasionally it was operated by a 777 in 2013. And then the route actually ended in... April of 2014, April of 2014, sorry, March of 2014, March of 2014 was the last month of operation and it was a daily Boeing 747-400. And service ended on the 30th of March, the 29th of March, the last service on the routing was a return flight from Bangkok to Narita on a Boeing 747-400. So that's the history of United in Bangkok. They haven't been there for a decade. I think uh, United and Delta ended Bangkok roughly around the same time when they dismantled the Tokyo on the, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. So I guess it's time for my final prediction of the year. Um, and my final prediction of the year is that Southwest airlines will begin offering assigned seating. Not for every single seat on the aircraft, but specifically for the extra legroom seats. So exit row and bulkhead seats. They're going to sell that as a separate class, and that's going to be a precursor to them eventually adding a first-class cabin um, or a extra legroom cabin because Southwest is undergoing a slow but steady evolution into more of a legacy carrier. Something like the, uh, who's doing the AMW seating, like first window, then middle seat, then aisle? I think that's United's new boarding approach. Right. Um, But yeah, like what I'm calling out is I think that they will um, add assigned seating for those specific rows. Okay. 
I don't know. What do you think, Rohan? Rohan is so disgusted by this prediction that he doesn't even want to respond. <laughs> I mean, I hope they come up with a better acronym than United did. United came up with Wilma. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's the name of a hurricane. <laughs> I mean, sure, it's this is the this, the perpetual paradox of Southwest Airlines is that when you do something different for so long and that helps you be an innovator and a differentiator and helps you build a market share and allegiance and loyalty, but then you try to disrupt that because that doesn't work for your model any longer or because you're potentially missing out on revenue opportunities that you know are very beneficial for your competitors, like, you know, check bag fees, then, you know, how will this sort of thing react with their customers. I think customers will accept it. I mean, they accept it, move on. And let's be real, you know, Southwest does not have the kind of lovey-dovey, you know, brand, you know, sort of thing that it once had where everyone thinks that whatever they do, they walk on God's green earth. They definitely have been taking a beating. But because there's so few major airlines in the U.S. now, um, notably just major four, the big four, you know, people really don't have any other option but to, you know, fly with the airline that provides the best service to their uh, to their city of choice. Or, you know, they've already gotten A-list status, you know, they're going to want to keep it. So um, I think that it, the question is, though, how are they going to implement this? Will they start up small? Will they start off? I mean, like, I don't think that Southwest, if I were them. I don't think that they should be figuring out what opportunities for revenue, uh, you know, or, or differentiating their business models should be on that. I think that they should be solving their tech debt. I think this should be stabilizing their operations. I think that they should be at least getting their technology up to speed to where it wants to be or where it needs to be. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I just sometimes it, it, it's very hard to pinpoint where the focus is of that airline. It's all over. Yeah. The place. Yeah, that's completely fair. I, that was, that, you know, if I were to argue against my bold prediction, it would be that. It would be that, you know, Southwest does need to kind of continue to evolve and find ways to extract more revenue. I think that the natural evolution is towards, uh, is towards assigned seating. But until they figure out their IT situation, maybe they can't execute it. So that would be the argument against the prediction, the bold prediction that I just made. But I, you know, Rohan, I'm going to put blame on you for this because I feel like I had to ramp up the boldness of my predictions to counteract all your very vanilla, you know, forecaster. Like, ah, you're putting money down on a prediction market predictions that you threw out here. So I don't, I don't. What about, what about a bonus? Uh, a bonus. Oh my God. Uh, wow. Okay. My bonus. Mexicana yeah. is no longer going to be a government run airline and they're going to come back and they're going to disrupt. The U.S. to Mexico and North American to Mexico market. They're going to bring back the 767-200s and Airbus A330-200s that Mexicana once had. They're going to rejoin One World. And then American is going to establish a joint venture with them. Oh, I like it. All right. <laughs> Even though, according to Anilria. I think they put on their OnlyFans that uh, the inaugural flight was diverted. <laughs> the yeah. inaugural flight was diverted? That's yeah. hilarious. It's not a good arming guard. For it. No. But yeah, it's not a great sign. 
It's not a good time. They're going to fly to Tokyo. They're going to fly to to Spain. They're going to do a joint venture with Iberia and IAG. Uh, they're going to order the A380 and figure out a way to fly nonstop with the A380 from. I don't, I don't think I don't think you can buy an A380. But okay, yeah. See, this is this is there. You go. This is a lot better. Yeah, this, this, this is the energy we need from you to end 2023. Well, yes. yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to so many outlandish things on this podcast in 2023. <laughs> I have to redeem myself somehow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, um, with one final bonus prediction, that is the end of season four of the Airways podcast. As always, thank you for listening. We'll be back in the new year with season five. In the meantime, please leave us a review. Please subscribe wherever you like to get your podcast. The best way to support us, frankly, is to um, subscribe to the Airways NOTAM newsletter over on Substack. Um, for $10 a month, you get a bunch of premium content. You get a bunch of um, you know podcast episodes and a bunch more. So strongly recommend that. Uh, leave us a, a, a review. Um, leave us a rating at the very least on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, for sure. As we wrap up season four, we want to assure you that all our listeners that uh, this is just the beginning of the new seasons. Um, it's just great having uh, Roman and Vinay uh, go back and forth. We'll be taking a short break, uh, just maybe one or two weeks, not too long. Uh, to prepare for season five and we'll be bringing you even more content interviews and uh our commentary yeah on the uh happenings of commercial aviation thanks everyone for listening and uh happy new year